uh, we must pray because it might be short and sweet, but these words uh, are profound. And if we're going to take them seriously, um, huge implications. So let's pray before we dive in. Father, uh, we come before you. We know that your word is good. Uh, you say uh, in your word that your word is a light unto our feet. It's like honey uh, to our lips. It's sharper than a double-edged sword. Pray whatever your word uh, has to do in our hearts today that it would and we'd leave here as changed individuals who are sold out to live for you and for you alone. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please keep Mark chapter 8 verses 34 to 38 in front of you. These verses are frightening. There's a warning. I was on the road last night, uh, heading down the M1, uh, and it was pretty snowy. Uh, it was, I, I thought it wouldn't be, uh, but there were a couple of inches on the road. Uh, and uh, I kept seeing signs, of one sign uh, that was lit up, and I, it, it, it took me by surprise. It said this, severe weather forecast, please take action. Hmm. Usually just says, take care. Uh, no, what does it usually say? Well, I don't know. It just says something like, um, be careful at driving, take care driving, or something like that. But instead it said, please take action. Uh, and that, in one sense, is for us this afternoon, there's a severe truth forecast, and it demands you take action. See, we've been trying to answer the question as Jesus asks it, who do you say I am? Remember last week we got to uh, the pinnacle uh, of the series where Jesus turns around to his disciples and says, right, who are people saying I am? And the answer uh, came back. Some say um, Elijah, some say one of the prophets. Uh, Jesus doesn't even pay any attention. He looks at them. It's like he points the finger right into the heart, right into the soul. But what about you, he said? What about you? Who do you say I am? And in one sense, it's a really easy question to answer. If you've been here during the series, you'll have, you'll have seen Jesus. You'll have seen Jesus do incredible things, teach some pretty incredible things too. And the pieces of the jigsaw, perhaps for you for the first time, they're all coming together. Or perhaps it's been a good time for you. You've been a Christian um, quite a while, but to refresh yourself in who Jesus is has been a good time. Perhaps you've got an answer similar uh, to Simon Peter last week. You are God. You're God's son. You're the anointed one sent from him. You're the Messiah. But perhaps uh, that's an answer that you would give. And in one sense, that's a really easy thing to say. It's pretty straightforward. But what if getting the identity of someone right meant there were implications to the way that you lived your life? Easy to say on one hand. Yeah, you're that guy. But what if the identity of getting so of the identity of someone, getting the identity of someone right has implications for the way you live your life? This is where Jesus kicks in with what it looks like to really understand who he is and what it looks like to live for him. If you've not read this, highly recommend it. Christianity Explored. It's a super little book that helps 
you and any reader understand who Jesus is. It pretty much takes what we've done. No, no, we've taken what um, this book has done uh, in helping us understand Jesus through Mark's gospel. Um, I've got some copies if you'd like a read. Come and see me. Um, Chapter 2, the start of it. Listen to this. There's a great scene in the film Notting Hill. I know it's uh, yesteryear, we're talking about Notting Hill now, but uh, there's a couple of oldies in the room that might remember Notting Hill. Um, It's all right. But anyway, I'll carry on. There's a great scene in the film Notting Hill in which the character Bernie meets Anna Scott, played by Julia Roberts, for the first time. Anna is a hugely famous Hollywood actress. It's Bernie. So tell me, Anna, what do you do? Anna, I'm an actress, Bernie. I'm actually in the stock market myself, so not really similar fields, though I have done the odd bit of amateur stuff, PG Woodhouse, Farce and all that. Uh, I've always imagined that's a pretty tough job though, acting. I I mean, the wages are scandalous, aren't they? Anna, well, they can be. Bernie, I see friends from university. They've been in the business longer than you. They're scraping by on about seven, eight thousand pounds a year. It's no life. What sort of acting do you do, Anna? Films, mainly. Bernie, oh, splendid. Well done. How's the pay in movies? I mean, the last film you did, what do you get paid? Anna, 15 million dollars. Bernie, all right, so that's fairly good. And you see what's going on there? Bernie doesn't relate to Anna properly because he does not know who she is. And in order to relate to Jesus properly, we have to get his identity right. We've taken a long time to get us to the point in trying to understand who Jesus really is. And when we understand who Jesus really is, so hopefully we understand what it looks like to live for him, to trust in him. A wrong view of Jesus leads to a wrong view of discipleship. It's a wrong way of following him. Uh, Let's look at verse 34. 34 sets up this little section. And then verses 35 to 38 unpack the meaning of discipleship, what it looks like to follow Jesus in four statements. Look at verse 34 with me. We'll dive into these two phrases. Then he called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, whoever wants to be my disciple, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves. This is hard. See, I really struggle to deny myself anything that I desire. Over the last two years, I've tried to cut sugar out of my tea or coffee. I regularly steal back to the cupboard. Just a little spoon, just a few grains. Do you know I even did it there with a coffee? Whatever it is for you, to deny yourself anything that you want is really hard. Less chocolate, less coffee, less TV, less alcohol, less social media. It's a real task. But you see the call to follow Jesus, it's not less those things, it's actually less me. Less my desires. 
less my ambitions, less my rights. It's saying no to self. And that's really hard in a society that says life is all about saying yes to self. And not just yes to self, but, but actually you get by in this life by promoting yourself. If you want to get anywhere in life, push yourself forward. Our instinct is always self-preservation. It's always self-promotion. We're essentially selfish creatures. Who has the right to tell us what to do with our lives? We cry out altogether, no one. No one does. We are in charge of our own lives. Jesus is saying, this is what it looks like to follow me. Deny yourself to turn back on your selfish ways. Chapter 1 verse 15, Jesus as he teaches, he says this is what it looks like to deny self, to repent and believe the good news. Repent and believe the good news. It's so dangerous to live in a world independent of God. The one who made it. It's so dangerous to live without him. Repent and believe the good news. And yet this is more than a stop for Lent attempt. It's a complete allegiance change from self to Christ. Self to Christ. As I said, those four statements later on, Help us to understand that a little bit more as we apply them. But here's the first thing Jesus says. This is what it looks like to follow me. Repent and believe. Deny self. Say no to me and yes to Jesus. Then he called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, whoever wants to be my disciple will take up their cross. Deny self and take up their cross. What does Jesus mean? Think about how the modern world views a cross. It's either jewellery or figures of speech. You've heard those figures of speech before. As you bear a cross saying you bear a burden, you're putting up with an inconvenience or hardship. See, so, so very different to first century. First century view of the cross. The cross was an instrument of cruelty, of pain, of dehumanisation, of shame, an image of repugnance, symbolised. It symbolised hated Roman oppression, reserved for the lowest of the low. It was served for criminals, spread fear into any idea of rebellion. Here's another movie for you, Spartacus. Only be a handful of people that have seen that movie. 71 BC, the Roman general Crassus, he defeated the slave rebel Spartacus. Remember it? Who is Spartacus? Came the shout. I am Spartacus. No, I am Spartacus. No, I am Spartacus. And as a result, the Roman general crucified him, Spartacus, 6,000 of his followers, all along the Appian Way from Rome to Capia. 6,000 guys crucified on a cross. A century later, Emperor Nero would crucify and burn Christians. And this was the day that Mark was writing his account. When Jesus says, whoever wants to be my disciple must take up their cross. 
Think of what that meant for the first readers. The fear, the prospect, the thought. The image was real. It could be apparent in life. It was probable. A probable reality for Mark's first readers. How does Jesus use this image to help the first readers in Mark, as Mark records it, and to help us in Town Church Bista? A total claim to allegiance. An utter relinquishment of all we have. As physical crucifixion was on the horizon, see this reminder wasn't a sign of God's abandonment, but rather identification, faithfulness to the way, to the way of following Jesus. So to the first readers, so to you and I, Jesus, whatever it costs. Jesus, wherever it takes you. Jesus, even if that means physical death for you. It means, Jesus, I am truly yours. And that great 80s praise song, Jesus, all for Jesus, all I am and have and ever hope to be, that's it. Deny self, take up your cross and follow me. I'm careful for a moment. We've got to be careful. This is not about being worthy to be accepted by God. It's not a life of martyrdom to earn God's favour. This isn't saying this is what I must do. Deny self. I take up my cross in order for God to accept me. He welcomes me because of what Jesus has done. But this is the call now on life. This is the call. This is a way of life. It's been transformed by the identity of Jesus and the work of Jesus. It means that all other living is futile. Deny self. Take up cross. What on earth does that look like for me living in Bista? 2018. What does it look like for you in the mundane tomorrow? Wednesday, two o'clock. What does it look like to deny self and take up our cross? It's hard. Hard to move from the first century to now. I need help. I need to wrestle with this truth. I need people to push and probe. I need people to help me come to terms with this again and again and again. Deny self. Take up cross today. In some senses, it's so very subjective. I cannot know for you what that looks like. You cannot know for each other to deny self, to say no to me and yes to Jesus. But some of these questions, key questions that help us understand these next statements perhaps might help as you deny yourself and take up your cross. That's the core. That's what it means to truly understand Jesus and live for him. So here are some questions that help us dive into verses 35 to 38. First question, who is this for? Who is it for? 
Let's go to this f- verse 34 again for a moment. Then he called the crowd to him along with his disciples. Then he called the crowd to him along with his disciples. Look at that purposeful intent of Jesus. You see that word called? Simply means summoned. It means come here. You must listen to this. Jesus speaks to the crowd as well as his disciples. He's been teaching his disciples. Who do you say I am? Now he gathers all in. It's the way of discipleship is universal. There is no back door into his kingdom. It's no, you group over here, that's what it means for you. You group over here, a little bit different. You over there, different. No, no, no. Jesus says, come. He calls the crowd along with his disciples. And then he says, this is what it means. Remember Al, last week, what he helped us understand. The miracle of the blind man in two stages. Understanding Jesus' true identity leads to living for Jesus in true submission. This passage holds up a mirror, demands that I look into it. So hold up the mirror. Who's this for? It's for all who would repent and believe and trust in Jesus to deny self and take up your cross. Hold up the mirror. What do you see? Are you denying self? Are you taking up your cross, whatever that looks like? Who is it for? It's for all. There's no back door into God's kingdom. Here's the second question. Why is it so costly? Why is this life of following Jesus so costly? Why can it not be a case of work, family, friends, Jesus, sport, holiday, travel? Why can't Jesus just be one of those eight things that I just fit in to life? Why not? Well, Jesus says because there's so much at stake. See verse 35, for whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. Let's try and understand these words. The meaning for life here is the core of one's existence. It's not limited to the physical boundaries of life, those three score years and ten, those 70 years. Later, the word soul is used. It's the core of one's existence, this inner being soul. And Jesus is saying it cannot be saved by trying to preserve it and indulge in it and promote it and pushing it forward. It cannot be saved by that method. It can only be saved through giving it up to another. That is the only way that it can be saved. The one for whom the way of Jesus is more important than his own existence will secure his eternal being. For the one whose existence is more important than Jesus will lose both. Will lose both Jesus 
and their existence. See, it's not a case of both and. Live my life and have a bit of Jesus now and again. I live my life throughout the week and then come to town church, Bista. Um, ah, I'll get it for 3.30, 5.15, that's a decent stint. I'll live how I want to and I'll have Jesus too. It's not a case of both and. It's only following Jesus and either or. It's only that. I cannot have both my life and Jesus' life. So the question comes again, what does losing your life for Jesus look like this week? What does it look like to lose your life for Jesus? Why is it so costly? Because there's so much at stake. Third question, two more, and then we're done. Question, is it worth it? Perhaps you're sitting... um, there and you're thinking, well, do you know, I, I, I like this bunch. You're maybe not thinking that uh, as you look around the room. But we, we've done, what are we now, 11, 12 weeks at Town Church. Yeah, I'm finding a home here. I'm enjoying it. I love the refreshments. I love the conversation. Perhaps you don't like the conversation that much, but you're saying, well, yeah, I'm up for it. I'm up for this. But anything more, if they're asking me to do anything more, if I've got to commit to anything more than what I can on a Sunday, it's not for me. Is it worth it? It's worth it for how I can control it, is often my view of following Jesus. Verse 36, Jesus says, What good is it for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? Is it worth it? See what Jesus is saying? It's what ultimately matters in life. And here's me after the England-Ireland game yesterday. All right, Gareth, nodding away there. Do you know what, for a moment, I actually think life is all about England v. Ireland. Just for a moment. I get sucked into what the world shouts and how the world shouts loudly. What the world shouts about and how the world shouts loudly about it. Perhaps for a moment that that sporting occasion means everything. And then the reality kicks in. It's only a game, Gareth. Doesn't mean that much. Gain the whole world, Jesus is saying, and everything in it at the cost of your soul? Why would you? Jesus is saying, apart from God, the soul is the one thing without compare. Apart from God, your soul is the one thing. Cannot be compared with anything else. So hard to let this truth teach us. Not to get sucked in by what the world says is crucial. It's moment by moment, as Jesus says in this adulterous and sinful generation, to understand what ultimately matters. It's my soul. 
One author puts it like this. It takes the word of Jesus to teach the infinite worth of the human soul and he alone is sufficient to preserve it. Is it worth it? Well, did God think you were worth it? He sent his son who denied himself. He sent his son who denied himself when he had every right, every right to demand a legion of angels to save him. And he didn't. Why? Because your soul was worth it. He sent his son and he lifted him, his son, onto a cruel cross. Why? Because he said, your soul is worth it. Is it worth it? Ultimately, worth it? Here's the fourth question. What's the consequence if I don't? Look at verse 38 with me. If anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his Father's glory with the holy angels. Jesus is coming back to redeem and rule over the creation he has made. He is. He will come with his Father's glory like the world has never seen before. But here's the start warning. If we're ashamed of the Son of Man, see how Jesus calls himself Son of Man, the man who is God, a reminder to the people listening, a reminder to us that he's the one sent by God, who is God, yet in human form, If we're ashamed of Jesus, see what will happen? He will be ashamed of us unless Jesus is received in this generation. The Son of Man will not receive them in future glory. How's your relationship with Jesus? Are you denying yourself? Are you taking up your cross. As I look in the mirror, am I denying myself? Am I taking up my cross in my workplace to deny self? And all around, all around uh, are seeking to promote themselves. What does it look like to deny self? What does it look like in the canteen? Not to be ashamed and speak the truth of Jesus in grace and love. When selfish desires reign and rule, what does it look like to take them captive before God and say, no, less me, Lord, more you. When temptation rises, and the ugly head of temptation tempts me to focus on my selfish desire, what does it take me to stop and consider Christ, to pick up my cross, saying, Jesus, whatever it takes. See the glorious future that awaits those who say, Jesus, all for Jesus, and then live for him. Deny self, take up cross, and follow me, Jesus says. Oh, so very easy. To hear those words, 
to do a little surface scratching and say that, 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 oh, come on, I'll get that in shape. That would be a good thing to do, but perhaps an easy thing to do. This takes a complete change of allegiance. To say, Lord, show me where I put myself above you. Show me where I live for myself. Show me where my desire for me is far greater than you. If you want to follow Jesus, that's what it looks like. The people of Town Church Bicester who are saying, Lord, teach me your way. Teach me about me, who I am, what I seek, and help me to deny what I think my right is, to take up my cross and to follow you, whatever that looks like, wherever it takes me, to speak of you loudly and boldly. Don't know about you, but I need help, real help to do that. So let's pray. And then as we take communion together, we'll pray that God would help us realise and recognise that the help has come through Christ or through Christ. Father, uh, these words, as we said at the beginning, are hard to hear, to deny self, to take up our crosses and to follow you. For the first century readers trying to grapple with this, then death and death on the cross was very real. And for us in Bicester, that seems uh, a world away. And indeed it is. Therefore, Lord, we need your help to understand these words. Help us to apply this truth specifically to ourselves. Help us to understand what it looks like to deny self to take up our cross and to follow you. And thank you for the Lord Jesus. Thank you so much that he's made it possible for my allegiance to be changed from me to him. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.